If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. This will be the last time we say Ephesians 1 for a while, perhaps, as we come to the last uh, four verses, 20 through 23. Uh, while you are opening there, uh, just to remind us where we've been in Ephesians, because we're at the end of chapter 1, and this sermon series is all about encouragement. And, and encouragement, remember, my simple and silly definition is positive forward movement. Whether that's God dragging you, whether that's you crawling, whether that's you sprinting, or whether that's you running, or probably some combination of all of those things throughout uh, the time that you've been believing, right? Uh, whatever that looks like, there is encouragement to be found in God, and Paul is expressly desirous to make sure that the people who are reading this letter, who are hearing this letter, who are uh, having ministers and preachers and everyone read and preach through and teach that, that they will be encouraged. And we see this in so many different ways. We see that, that there are uh, massive spiritual blessings from God, who is also Jesus, verse 3. We see that, that there is sovereignty that has been revealed to us in verse 4. In verse 5, and that, and that that's not some faraway concept of an old man in the sky, but rather this is a father who has adopted sons and daughters, who has, I very sillily picked up some children and ran. Who, who does that? God the Father embracing his children. Who are you who believe? Not only that, as we see that there is this relationship that's formed through Jesus in 3, 4, 5, and in 6, we begin to see that there is praise that can be rendered because of the redemption in verse 7. We see that not only is there redemption, but now there is wisdom and insight being given from the Holy Spirit who is very mysterious and yet very much for us because there's a purpose, and that purpose of God's will for us is salvation. More than that, this is all happening in time. Verse 10, this is happening right now. This is happening in our families. This is happening in your life. It has happened. It continues to happen. It's happening for those who are far off, who have yet to believe, and yet through our ministry here at Centennial are coming in and believing. But it's even more than that because as all of this is bearing out, and then we're wondering, wait a second, this place still stinks, right? <laughs> Sin is happening. Suffering. Death. God expressly reminds us by His Holy Spirit, Spirit who's carrying along Paul, who is writing this letter, that there is an inheritance that is given to us now, and this inheritance is eternal life, something that goes well beyond anything that we are seeing now, and that with hope and with excitement, there is a guarantee of something better to come. And this leads us into thanksgiving, 15, all the way down to where we are now because of what God's giving us, that hope and that inheritance and that immeasurable greatness that we find in the Lord Jesus. And now, here, at the end of chapter 1, before we do it all again, even more intensely, I might say, in chapter 2, believe it or not, Paul wants us to pause for a moment and take account, just like I did. Where have we been so far? That's a whole lot. And as I was praying and trying to figure out how do, we, how do we begin to place ourselves into the Word, the question arose, where have you come from? Where have you been just since we started this sermon series, for those of you who have been with us? 
It's been some weeks since January. By my estimation, a lot has happened since January. But what about beyond that? What about your time since you've been believing? Where have you been? Who have you lost? What's different? What's the same? Where are you going? The main point today that we're going to see in Ephesians 1 verses 20 through 23 is that, is that followers of God get direction from God through Jesus. It's so easy to be directionless in this world. The world, in fact, if I might say it this way, desires that. But, but there is direction from God given to us through Jesus. And we see that in, in these Bible verses that are very kingly. It's, it's, it's very, very pointed in the reality that, that we've got someone over us, quite literally, who is leading us, quite literally, to someplace better. There is a direction that we're going. We'll see it today. Let's pray, and then we'll read God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, bless this Word. It is powerful, and we are weak. And so, God, by your Spirit in power, move in us. And through our weakness, show us strong as you change us from the inside out. Don't let us be whitewashed tombs, as the Lord Jesus himself says. Help us to be ones who are cleansed from the inside by the working of your Spirit. Lord, will you do it in Jesus' name? Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 20. A continuation of what we had before. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of God, it stands, it remains forever. Remember that followers of God get direction from God through Jesus. Before you hear the points, remember that, that this is coming as a sentence, right? We're taking parts and pieces, but as you see this sentence, Paul has just finished praising God because we are getting hope, we are getting inheritance, and we are getting immeasurable greatness. And that is what is coming from Jesus. Jesus, that he worked in Christ, right? Verse 19. And so as we think about direction, this is the foundation. And now we're looking at the movement that's coming from this massive amount of gifts of salvation that we see. And there are three points that we'll see that, that help us with this direction portion. We get direction through Jesus' placement. We get direction through Jesus' power. And we get direction through Jesus' presence. His placement, his power, his presence. Let's pick up at Jesus' placement in verses 20 and 21. Uh, if I were to ask you the question, where is Jesus? You could tell me the answer. Quite literally, we know from the Word that He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's why we confess that. Jesus is really seated there on a throne. 
Uh, that doesn't mean that He is not present in our lives, but His presence is by the Holy Spirit, that comforter, that helper. Jesus, uh, He is in bodily form, okay? He didn't just dematerialize. Jesus rose from the dead with His body. He was born uh, taking on flesh with His body. And it goes well beyond anything that we might at first imagine. I've used these words before. I'm going to use them again because they're very good for us, especially in a moment like this, for us to see the gospel and the, the cost of the gospel. Because the cost of our salvation was heavy. And it had to be for the injustices that we have committed throughout time. And so Jesus comes, He is God, and, and He clothes Himself in sin, uh, in, uh, in flesh, uh, the likeness of sinful flesh, and yet not sinful, right? So now, Jesus, he, he has a body. That is very humiliating for God. The old Puritans uh, took that word humble, you know, humble yourselves, right? Well, the root is the same for humility and humiliation, okay? And they took it to that point. They said, Jesus humiliated himself for our good and gain that we might not be humiliated on the judgment day. And so Jesus, who is God, takes on flesh. He, he lowers himself. He uh, abases himself down to where he looks like creation. Uh, to use the illustration, this is the king who's dressing now like a pauper. And not only like a pauper, like one who's going to die. Because he doesn't have the power to save himself? No. Because he chooses not to exercise that power. He stays humiliated. And in a sense, we must be very careful with this language, because God himself has risen up. Jesus seated him there above all other names. And yet from the worldly perspective, Jesus remains humiliated. He's got a body still. He looks created. And yet he is not created. He is God. What a very confusing and mysterious and powerful moment for us to begin to try to reckon with as we think about the cost of our own salvation, of what God did, and, and of, the, of the judgment that had to be meted out, that, that, we might, that, that we might be paid for. And then, as I was mentioning in Ephesians 1, guaranteed an inheritance of eternal salvation, of the presence of God throughout time. And yet, as I mentioned before, this is not humiliation anymore. Because this Jesus in bodily form, who rose again from the grave, who was beheld, it's almost Easter, where's Thomas at? Oh, Easter's coming. That's what Thomas said, Easter's coming, man. Yes, that's right. Easter is coming. Jesus rising again. Up from the grave, he arose. And, and in that moment, as, as he's ministering and discipling one last time to the apostles-to-be, to those women who had surrounded him, to those hundreds that were around that they might bear testimony to the miraculous realities that God was working in the fullness of time, he ascends into heaven because his work isn't finished yet. In fact, it's only just begun if you wanted to think about that, about that way, because he's been working all the way, uh, what, since 33 AD, if you want to kind of take 33 as kind of a baseline in his, you know, maybe 30-ish when he starts his ministry. Since 33 AD, all the way to 2022, our God has been seated on a throne doing work 
making intercession for His people, receiving prayers, and taking them perfectly to the Father as mediator. And even as we confessed in our the, uh, question 26, subduing us to Himself. Have you ever thought about that? I used to tell Rebecca, it'll be uh, on March 8th, what is that, Tuesday, it'll be 17 years that I have been dating my wife. 17 years we've been together, which is more than we've been apart. And then in my younger years, I used to tell her, I wish I could somehow not believe because then I could do the stuff that I want to do. <laughs> Because while I'm believing, while God is working His works in me, it's made the stuff that is sometimes pleasurable, drinking and carousing, right? Whatever words you want to use. Somehow less pleasurable, like dust and ashes in the mouth. And so I would tell Rebecca, as a very young and immature believer, if only, right? Then I could do that stuff. Rebecca, of course, was like, I don't think you should say that. You know, she's like, that's not good, you know. But, but there is that moment, right, where Jesus himself as king subdues us, right? He, he grabs us by the collar. Thanks be to God. Because I would have never come along willingly. Because of my own sinful nature. And yet the Lord does a work. And when he does a work, you see who you were, the scoundrel that you are. And you go subdued and thankful for God's work in your life. And this work is due to Jesus' placement on the throne. This placement is because of the work that he has done. Because remember, uh, Jesus is God. And God is already above all, in all, through all. He is the one who has created all. Jesus is known to be holding up creation by the word of his power. Jesus is the one who, as it were, spoke those things we see in Colossians. Jesus is God. Existing outside of time. He, he's got all, all the omnis, right? And you think, how is that possible when he's taken on flesh? But that's because he humiliated himself for you. And, and so now God, the Father, is raising Jesus up and saying, Don't forget who my son is and what he's done for you. Look at his placement. Followers of God get direction from God through Jesus' placement. Because now we have a compass and we know the true north of the compass. And it's Jesus on the throne. Uh, you know, what will you do when you get to heaven? Uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm going to try to, you know, I'm going to try to find Mimi. You know, if I could just find Mimi, right? You know, everyone's got this kind of concept. What we're going to do when we get there, there will be time, I guarantee you, for all of those things. But the first thing you're going to want to do, as all your sin has been ripped away from you, as all of that corruption, all of that dirt and all of that stink, the very first thing you're going to do is praise God in the purest and most beautiful way that you've ever done in your entire life. That will be, I guarantee, the very first thing that you do. Period. And you will go right for Jesus' throne. 
because that is the culmination, the fullness of time moment, where we see all of these things from before, all of these things that are coming after, coalesce in a singular moment. And we say, wow, this is the justice of God. This is the love of God. This is the mercy of God. This is the grace of God. This is God and His work for His creation and His people. God in that moment, as Jesus is on the cross, as Jesus conquers the grave, God in this three-day stretch, uh, you see Him most, if I could say it this way, most fully revealed in all of His attributes. Think about that for a moment. We get direction because of that. Because God, the Father, places Jesus on the throne. Verse 20. We see this great work that's happening that's worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead. And now he's seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the one to come. That one who was absolutely humiliated is now absolutely glorified. And the script has flipped. And God loves to flip the script. You see it all throughout Scripture. Secondly, we get direction through Jesus' power. Because we see not only where Jesus is, is placed, if, if we were to use that compass illustration, uh, we actually have a working compass, right? And, and that working compass is Jesus himself as well. So not only are we given this instrument to point us right to where we need to get, but we also see it now... Pointing, You know, instead of it being on a magnet and twirling like the world would have us do, boom, it's on true north. And we see that in verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. We get direction through Jesus' power. I was just mentioning it before. We have conversations about this, elders and members and deacons and everyone in the church alike. And we always say the same thing. Unless the Lord is in it, right? We can talk a big talk. We can talk a big game. But unless the Lord is in it, it's just not going to work. We could try. Uh, it's like the, like the three little pigs and that wolf. He can huff and puff as much as he wants on that brick house. It ain't going down, right? Uh, it's just, we could just exhaust ourselves. But, but if the Lord is in it, just a snap of his fingers and the brick goes down, right? Uh, and so, uh, so we begin to see that, that Jesus' power in us is how we move and how we breathe. And this necessarily allows us to begin to embody a humility in the church. Because, because as we see in verse 22, there's a couple things that are happening. Uh, God put all things under Jesus' feet. Okay, that's one thing. He gave him as head over all things. That's another thing. And he's doing all of this to the church, right? And, and so now, all of a sudden, we begin to see that, that there's this relationship that's, that's bearing out, that, that Jesus' power uh, necessarily all of a sudden becomes our power. You know, one thing that, that I've been uh, uh, kind of uh, watching with, with horror and aghast, I'm sure y'all have, is some of, the, some of the flow of this Russia-Ukraine thing. And, and as y'all are looking and, and seeing, maybe you had to do some research like I did, which is like, hey... Like, why aren't we doing more? Like, what does this look like? What does that look like? And, and you know, it's like, well, you know, if, if we put our name in the hat, they're going to put their name in the hat. You know, it's like how World War III happens, right? You know, all these different scenarios play out. And you think, man, 
you know, that stinks. You know, it's just like everybody's name is attached to something, right? And so all of a sudden, Ukraine seems like they're kind of on their own. And yet everyone's like, we'll sort of help you, no way. But we can't put our name on it. But it's such a good illustration for what we see here. Because where the church goes, we go with the power of Jesus. And that's positive, but it, we can also make that negative. Because we can come and we can reveal the realities of sin, which is negative. I call it anti-evangelism. Wow, those Christians, they're pretty weird, right? That's, you know, that's a, a good summation of sometimes what we can do. They're pretty mean. They're pretty, they're pretty whatever, right? Or we can come in the power of the Lord Jesus as the Spirit is working in us. As we are participating in the ordinary means of word, of the gathering of the people, of the sacraments. And as we move with our ordinary lives, focusing on God, recognizing that there is power in the blood, right? That there is victory in Jesus. As these things begin to inform us, every single second of every single day, which is not far-fetched for the believer. We then begin to move with power. And that power is not our own power, but the power of Jesus. It, it, it seems so contrary to our sinful minds and hearts to begin to realize that our lives will never be better Unless we pour ourselves, not into the church, not into our families, though it will flood out of that, but unto the Lord, unto the Lord himself. If you give yourself all the way to the church, all you're going to do is look like a phony Messiah whose sacrifice carries no weight and only one death, yours. It's the truth. We operate, we'll just use the church as an example. We operate by bringing something to the church. And that something is that God-given gift, that God-given power of service. And, and, and we don't pour our lifeblood out, we pour the gifts that God has given us. Peter himself writing to uh, those who were far off said it this way, that, that we have been given varied graces from God, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. Those others being God's people, right? The varied gifts, First Peter chapter 4. And so as, as we begin to think about it like that, where, where we're not coming to the church to try to plug our recharge battery in or something, what does that even mean? How can I, how, what does the recharge look like? And we're not iPhones. But we do, we do get something here, don't we? We get exercise. We get to exercise our varied gifts. We get to worship and praise our God. And, and from this exercising, this fulfilling of who we are, this, this uh, uh, a utilization of the power that indwells us by Jesus, we do leave stronger, don't we? Really worshiping. The same could be true of your daily devotions. What do you think your daily devotion is? if not an exercise of the power with which God has given you to desire to go into His Word, to learn something of Him, and then to move having seen what you learned. Our hollow devotions will no longer cut it. And they never have. 
Call me if you'd be curious to deepen your devotional experience on a day-to-day -day basis. It'd be like going from where my friends always say, you know, they're like CrossFit fanatics, you know, like, oh, you know, you, you're doing whatever, you know, CrossFit, you know, it's like a cult or something. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? If not, ask somebody about it. It's really crazy and funny, but it is next level fitness. I will agree with that. And, you know, what does it mean for us to take our exercising of that which God has given us to the next level? recognizing that there was power and that that power is not in us but humbling ourselves and recognizing that there is a king on the throne and that king is over all things and that that king has been given to the church and we are the church can you say that with me yes we are the church we can say that when we read Ephesians 22 you can say in substitute to me and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to me. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, you are a part of the church. But there's more because not only do we get direction through Jesus' placement, not only do we get direction through Jesus' power, but, but we get direction through Jesus' presence. Verse 23, because Jesus has, has this placement and this this power, but now we see that there's an intimate connection where we are his body, the fullness of, if I might say, Jesus rather than him who fills all in all. What does it mean to, to be in sync, head and hand together. Have you ever thought about this? If you've ever had an injury, you know, or your ankle, or your knee, where, where you had dexterity, and then you didn't. Where what you thought you could do becomes insanely difficult to the point where you think it's impossible. Where you're just trying to figure out, you know, the, the therapist is saying, touch your fingers, thumb to fingers. And you're trying to do that. And you can't. <laughs> I remember one time I tore all the tendons or something in my ankle. Pop, 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 pop. That's what it's, you know, ah, you know, and you're thinking it's over, you know, what's happening. And I, you know, trying to figure out what it even meant to walk without kind of twisting my ankle. It's like I had to learn how to move my muscles again. It was, it was so weird. And I wonder if sometimes we are so disconnected from the head, Jesus, that we don't work. And if you know what I mean physically, you can get there spiritually. Because it's it's that kind of freezing moment where you can fall into a hopelessness rather than hope. Where despair begins, begins to take over that, that dark valley, right? Uh, where, where the dark valley begins to shine, begins to blink and blare more loudly in your mind than, than God who is there with you in the midst of the darkness, who can see in the dark. Because we can't quite make it, right? Because our head, and maybe I could say our heart, 
are detached. Our body isn't functioning as, as we have been commanded to and as we have the power to move in. We are willfully then moving against. It turns out that where have you been is not really as important a question as where are you going. Because you'll know like physical therapy when you start to exercise and when you start to move. <laughs> Miss Mary Eleanor, perhaps if you're watching, you know what she said when we saw her. Let me show you what I've been practicing. She stood up on that knee that had that surgery. Let me show you, right? What, what can we show one another in fellowship that we've been practicing spiritually? Have you practiced anything spiritually in 2022 or in the 2020s or in the 2000s? What are the things? Because we can begin to explicitly mention them and speak of them together. That's what the gathering of the people is for. Not that we might stand in pride. We're the ones who are recognizing it's God who's doing it for us, right? It's all the more praise, even as we praised God during the offertory. There is victory in Jesus. Let me bear witness to it. Look what I've been struggling with. No more. But that's through Jesus' presence in your life. And if you are willfully moving away from Jesus, your head and your body, they will not function, I can guarantee. And many of us are not functioning very well. And then wondering why. Because that's the trick that our own sin and the world plays on us. Is that, is that we wonder why we have some of these things that are bothering us. Hopelessness and helplessness. And that we think there is no answer. When God himself has given us the, the, the reorientating moment of the Holy Spirit working in our souls, as we confess in the Lord Jesus and we seek to praise his name, we can begin then to exercise by the gift of the Lord Jesus, who is powerfully placed in our own very presence, a part of our own body. But it takes, it takes effort. And I wonder sometimes if we've become so comfortable that we have become comfortably numb to the reality of our own inactivity when it comes to Christianity. That was a lot of ease, but I hope you followed me. God is powerful and he is on the move in this place. Seize the opportunity that he has given you. You see it here at the end of Ephesians 1, and we better buckle up because Ephesians 2 is coming. And if you know it, you know it. If you don't, read it, and you'll know what's coming next. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for how good you are. Thank you that you are giving us a direction that you are calling us to move and that you give us that capability to move. But Lord, we're humble enough to recognize that we just can't do it. And yet you are the one who is doing it. You've sent your son Jesus. Jesus has done a work. Jesus is doing a work and he is a part of us. And so now God, we ask that you would move us and bless us and keep us even as we praise your name now. 
Lord, do it in Jesus' name. Amen.